people get to the other side. And I think when we're in dark spots, it's so invaluable to be able to connect with someone who's been through something similar and who is on the other side to remind you that this is part of the journey and you're going to learn so much from this and it hurts and it's painful. And sometimes you don't want to go on, but if you can just keep going and just see some reason to keep going and find where your next right step is, then you're going to get through to the other side of this struggle. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, hey, my name is Bree Noble, and you are listening to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. Today on the show, we're covering something a little bit different than we usually cover. We're going to be talking about injuries related to performing and practicing and all the things that we do as a musician. And that can be either vocal or instrumental. And I've got a guest on today that approached me with this subject and I thought, wow, I would have never thought to talk about this on the show, but she has personal experience with it and it changed her life and the way that she did everything in her career, including now the way that she teaches her students. And I thought this information is going to be so important for all of you musicians out there, whether you're instrumentalist or vocalist. And my guest, Sarah, is a longtime listener of the Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast. In fact, she has a quote right on our front page at femmusician.com. So when a listener sees a gap in what I'm talking about on this show, I always listen. So let me tell you a little bit about my interview guest, Sarah Gita. As a 19-year-old piano major, a playing-related repetitive strain injury sent singer-songwriter Sarah Gita into a spiral of pain, fear, and despair. After consulting a slew of doctors and healers, she ultimately regained the ability to play through years of lessons in the Alexander Technique body mapping, and the Listersync method. Inspired by her healing journey, Sarah Gita has dedicated the last 10 years to teaching ergonomic injury preventative technique in her private piano and voice studio. So here is my very inspiring and educational interview with Sarah Gita. So that's a little bit about Sarah Gita. So Sarah, is there anything about you that's, you know, unique, interesting, uh, quirky that is not in your bio that you want to tell our listeners? Quirky. Well, (laughs) after I was, um, after I finished college, I jumped on a band, jumped on a bus with a band of traveling yogis and we did a concert tour and service tour around Mexico and the U.S. and we played at festivals and we played at universities. We even played on a live radio show in Knoxville, Tennessee. And the host was really weirded out by us. He was like, um, 
Thank you for joining us today for this very unusual music, but it was <laughs> so much fun. It was a really great experience. That's cool. That's cool. I love, I love hearing about experiences that are definitely different from my own. That's really awesome that you, that you did that right after college. So I'd love to find out how you got started in music. Well, when I was seven, I begged my mom to please let me take piano lessons. And so luckily she was supportive and my parents were supportive. And I um, took piano lessons for many years and started voice lessons when I was 15. And I really, I was very unclear uh, in my youth about what I wanted to do, but I ended up choosing music because it was what I was enjoying most. And it's been more in the recent years that I've really felt like there's a deeper purpose and a soul calling for me teaching music and being a musician and a songwriter. So um, at this point, do you consider yourself a full-time musician? Do you have other income streams outside of music or do you have just a bunch of income streams in music? So I consider myself a full-time music teacher and that has been the focus of my career for the past 10 years. I've um, been working with students of all ages, professionals, as well as um, beginners, and um, I work on teaching injury preventative techniques as well as the all-around um, musicianship. And as far as, um, as far as my own music goes, that's been a journey, and it's just been in the last year that I'm really taking it more seriously and I am in the same place as most of your listeners in terms of um, my music career. And I, um, I have to say that I, you don't mention the Female Musician Academy very much or explain what it is, but because I had been listening to the podcast and didn't know what it was, but your courses and the support you offer are just so amazing. I was kind of on the fence about, you know, trying it. And then I see you have this amazingly well-organized step-by-step plan how to do all these things I didn't even know about, as well as all the things that I was intimidated to do, they now seem really doable. So I just want to give a plug for that. I know that you don't usually do it, but thank I you. Really, I appreciate uh, that. I, I probably don't mention it as much as I should, you know, because this is a resource for the type of people that are listening to this show. So I appreciate right. that. And I obviously love highlighting a lot of the women in the academy that are doing amazing things like you. And I'm always looking for, you know, unique angles and unique things to share on the show that we'll get into in a minute that you've got to, to bring to the table here. But um, I would love to know just kind of from the, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are struggling musicians, as I'm sure you understand, because you're kind of a little bit there in your own career right now. Um, but you are making money from music as a teacher. So I'd yes. love to know kind of in your early years when you, you know, were in college and coming out and looking into getting, making some income in music, like what were some things that you learned during that time and, and, you know, what happened such that, did you ever feel like, oh my gosh, this isn't working for me or I can't do music and, you know, what did you learn during that time that has brought you to where you are today? So one of my darkest hours has been the period when I first got a uh, playing-related injury. I was diagnosed with tendonitis when I was 19, um, and it was definitely worsened by the piano playing that I was doing as well as all the computer work I was doing as a college student. And um, 
you know, at first, uh, my first reaction was just to brush it off. The pain wasn't that bad. Just keep going. I mean, I even remember I was taking a tennis class and I didn't want to drop it even though it was hurting because I didn't want to double you on my transcript. Really, who cares about that? It's like <laughs> the perspective that I have now uh-huh. is a little different like of what I cared about then as a perfectionist. But um, when I really it kept getting worse and worse, the pain in my hands and wrists, shoulders and neck, and it sent me into deep depression. And one of the things that really made me keep going was that I had an amazing professor who told me her story when she was um, a piano major at Juilliard. She became injured and she spent a year where she could only play about five minutes a day and she was retraining and relearning how to play on the piano. And then I see her 12 years later where she can play amazing virtuosic repertoire. And so I really associated with that feeling like, okay, people get through this. People get to the other side. And I think when we're in dark spots, it's so invaluable to be able to connect with someone who's been through something similar and who is on the other side to remind you that this is part of the journey and you're going to learn so much from this and it hurts and it's painful. And sometimes you don't want to go on, but if you can just keep going and just see some reason to keep going and find where your next right step is, then you're going to get through to the other side of the struggle. Mm, And I think that's why this interview is so important because you are offering that hindsight view to people that are, that are stuck in a place of, you said, you know, pain, or Mm -hmm. maybe they've got vocal nodes or, you know, they're, they've had this repetitive injury from playing their instrument and they just, they don't see a lot of hope. And so I think you provide that beacon in the distance to them, which I think is really great. <laughs> so what, what strategies can artists use to prevent injury? So I'm going to speak about singing as well as instrumental playing. I teach both piano and voice. So first, let me address singing. Um, it's really important to understand the anatomy of what's going on with our voice So our vocal cords, our muscles inside of our larynx, and when we're just sitting and breathing and not making sound, they are separated. They're kind of in a V shape. And then when we decide that we're going to speak or sing, our brain sends a message through our nerves to the vocal cords, and they begin to vibrate extremely rapidly. And if, as air is passing through, and the air passing over those vibrating vocal cords is what produces our sound. So first of all, just understanding that our vocal cords are muscles is going to give us some ideas about why it's really helpful to do vocal warm-ups, not to just start out with your super high notes or your super low notes, but to warm up that middle range and then um, work out into your outer range. Um, It's also going to help us understand why if I'm used to singing 30 minutes a day, you know, it may be okay to go do a five hour, you know, sing for five hours at a really big gig on, you know, I don't do five hour gigs, but you know, there's, there's things out there like that. I'm about to do a three hour gig uh, for <laughs> yeah. two nights next week, singing right. at a, like a Christmas event. And yeah, I'm thinking yeah. about that. Like I, I have not been singing that long 
for a while. <laughs> so yeah. how was it going to go, you know? Right. Sort of like, so trying to work yourself up to it. I mean, not to say you have to be singing for three hours every day, but you don't want to be going from, you know, zero or 15 to three. You know, if you're working up to like one hour a day, then you're going to be more in shape. Kind of like, I, I like to walk and I can jog a little bit, but I'm not going to go run a marathon, right? Mm -hmm. My muscles are not in shape for that. So that's kind of an analogy to think of to keep your voice in great shape. Um, and then the other thing is you don't want to, well, there's a few more things. You don't want to like really tank up on air so that you're pushing it out really forcefully. If you think of just filling your lungs about 80% um, and using your diaphragm in a really efficient way, so it's just giving you a steady and easy airflow, that's going to help you with not having that pushing sound, that pushing feeling, really. And then the last thing is um, not to try to sound a certain way. So, um, you know, voice teachers call these tonal models. So when I have a student come in and they tell me, I want to sound like Adele, I tell them, no, I want you to sound like you. I want you to, to sing in a way that's natural, that feels easy, that is um, easy for your muscles. And I just recently read an article about how even Adele can't sustainably sing like Adele. She's she cannot. Had no, had she's had a lot of issues. On her vocal cords. So, um, so just to let go of like, I want to sound like this certain singer and just come back to something more freeing of, I want to sound like myself in an authentic and beautiful way. Okay. Mm. So, and then I have more for, um, for instrumentalists. Should I go into that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, the first thing that is going to help with singers also is taking breaks. So, um, to it, most injuries for instrumentalists are, are caused by repetitive movement, especially repetitive movement with inefficient or tense, um, quality of movement with your muscles. Um, so once you understand that it's that repetitive movement can over time build up the tension to cause soreness, pain, and eventually injury, then it makes sense why taking frequent breaks every 20 minutes, if you don't have problems, is going to be helpful um, to take a break. Although it, it, this is an important thing. It doesn't count as a break if you just leave your piano or your guitar and you go to your phone, because mm. then you're just doing a different type of movement with your hands. Um, you can go upstairs and I, I like to go get tea. I like to, you know, go to the bathroom. And then the other great, great, really important strategy is stretching. So um, you stretching the back, the shoulders, the neck, the hands, the wrists. I have videos on my website of some specific stretches. It's hard to describe them <laughs> without the visual aspect. But, well, let me interject um, then. Is that at saragita.com or so they can know yes. where to find those? Yeah, on the um, injury prevention page. The stretches of those parts of the body that you're using when you play your instrument, because we kind of think we just play with our fingers, but really you're using your whole body. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to your posture and alignment. So people think of posture as like something rigid, like in, you know, military stance or something. And I like to use the word alignment because it's more of a balanced state where your bones are in their most natural position and they're returning to that. So you can lean one way or lean the other, but you're returning to a poised and balanced state. And um, 
you know, just so if you're standing, if you think your feet are about as wide as your hips and your hips are over your feet, then your shoulders are over your hips and your head is balanced on top of the spine. I loved hearing um, Judy Rodman talk about that because she was all about the head balanced on top of the spine. She words it differently. But if you think about your head really being, uh, most, for most people, it's going to be more back than what they're used to. But if you, um, I recommend learning about your anatomy and seeing how the head balances on top of the spine. The balance point is really right between the ears. So it's in the middle of our head. And I do this demonstration with my students where I take a marker and I take this rubber ball and I say, look, you can balance your head on top. But if you tilt it, the ball falls off. Well, luckily our head isn't going to fall off, but our muscles have to compensate to, to hold up the weight of our head. And we get so used to it that we don't even realize our muscles are working and tensing when our head is forward. And then if yeah. you're sitting, you want to be balanced on the sitting bones. So um, body listening and paying attention to your body throughout the day as you're playing, as you're singing, that's really the key ingredient to playing in a healthy way because if you are starting to feel some pain and tension, then you'll just want to notice that and listen to it and see what message there is. We'll get more into that as well. But, and then the last thing for um, vocal health as well as instrumental health is a healthy lifestyle. And I don't think I need to go into it because we hear it everywhere, but just know that drinking lots of water, eating in a balanced way, moderate exercise, all of these things are also really good for us as musicians. So true. I mean, as a vocalist, our body is our instrument. Yeah. You know, we need to, to treat yeah. it as well as we would a, you know, beautiful piano that needs yeah. to be tuned and, you know, dusted yeah. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, let me ask you this. And I don't know if you know the answer because this is putting you on the spot a little bit. I know you're a pianist, but um, my husband's been talking about having guitar elbow, you know, because he's mm-hmm. holding the guitar and his elbow is always having to be out in that weird position. Is there anything yeah. you can do when you have a weird position you have to have, to, you know, that's not necessarily natural when you use your instrument? Yeah. So I don't know something specifically about guitar elbow, but I do know that most guitarists tend to curl over their instrument a uh-huh. bit. That's true. And um, that it takes some getting used to, but if you use a strap and you really think about the alignment of your spine and your head balanced on your spine and practice not having to look down that much. I mean, Mm. there's going to be times when you need to look down. I gave my guitarist a C-sharp minor chord, and even though she's awesome, she has to like look down (laughs) and find it. Um, But to just, you know, return to that place of being really balanced and tall And then you're also more open to the audience, which is a great thing. For sure. For sure. I think I was even talking about that with Judy Rodman. We were talking about how we tend to bend over our instrument instead of opening, you know, being upright. And and then it's better for the audience too. Yeah. So what if an artist is experiencing pain, you know, with playing their instrument or singing, what, what should they do? Yeah. So, um, most people will um, try to, they'll try to ignore the pain or, you know, sort of that no pain, no gain idea. No, that does not have a place <laughs> in music. I mean, I think it arises from like, if you do weightlifting the next day, you'll feel some soreness in your muscles afterwards. Right. But in, in music and singing, no pain, no gain does not have a place. What we want is to treat our muscles in a really 
respectful way where we're listening to them. Um, and then the other thing that um, if people, some people try to push through the pain and others become really fearful of the pain. I definitely got in that category of being like, oh my God, anything I do, I'm going to make it worse or, um, you know, feeling scared, like maybe I'll never play again and, you know, getting in that place of fear. And through the years, what I've discovered most helpful is to just see that um, pain, a pain sensation biologically is there to give us a message. Like if you think, if I put my hand in the fire, it's going to hurt. And the reason my body has that mechanism is to tell me, hey, wake up, get your hand out of the fire. So in our biological level, the pain is there to give us a message. And in modern life, it can be a little bit more difficult to um, figure out what that message is. So often, though, the message is to um, just to relax and to take a step back and to, to come at it in a more embodied, less perfectionistic, less pushing way. Um, to take it easy, not stress ourselves so very much, but to have that self-care time, you know, incorporate the stretching, do body awareness things like yoga. Although a warning about yoga is um, listen to your body. I'm a registered yoga teacher also, and there's a lot of yoga injuries from people like just jumping in and trying to do headstand and really difficult poses and stuff. So right. <laughs> look for a teacher that it encourages people to do what feels right for their body if you're going to yoga or Pilates. Um, so yes, often the message is to listen to our bodies and love our bodies and appreciate our bodies. So what if they don't know what the source of the pain is? They know they have pain. They can't figure out if it's the, you know how sometimes we have a spot that hurts, but it's probably actually stemming from somewhere else. How do you figure that out? Yeah, so um, there certainly um, I, I should say that if you're feeling some pain, um, you don't need to like get fearful. You know, if it's the question to ask yourself is, is it happening repeatedly and is it worsening? So, you know, if you rehearse and then you're feeling kind of a little, you notice like, hmm, I feel a little soreness in my wrist. Oh no, I have tendonitis. No, you don't need to freak out. You just need to listen to it. Um, and so that, that's the first thing that I forgot to say earlier, but um, if you're not sure of the source, so um, things are really connected to our emotions as well. So um, what helped me the most through what I've learned was Alexander Technique, and that was movement retraining. Um, and I really highly recommend the Alexander Technique for musicians. Um, but that got me to be free of the chronic day in, day out pain, but I still had a lot of tension and blocks. And for me, it was related to past trauma. So mm -hmm. I am a survivor of assault and um, I unconsciously have responded to that trauma by a lot of holding and bracing. And I notice in moments when I'm not paying attention, like I'll have clenched fists and my shoulders are kind of hunched. And then I've developed the awareness to be able to come back to my balanced place. But um, also when I'm feeling triggered from that, I have an extraordinary amount of tension in my body. And then I'm more likely to get a flare up of pain. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that all injuries are related to trauma, far from it. It's just that 
we need to look at ourselves as a whole being. And so um, I, I really love this process that I'm going to walk um, everybody through that helps you just to have a relationship with the pain and to view it as something that's here to teach us something. So the first thing you do is to describe the sensation. So, you know, would you describe it as tightness, tension, pain, and specifically where in your body do you feel it? Then you ask yourself, where are you feeling tightness in your life? Now, for this next part, it's helpful to close your eyes. Obviously, if you're driving, don't do it. <laughs> um, but you want to, um, so just imagine if the pain had a color, what would the color be? Just the first thing that arises. You don't need to second guess it. I know it seems weird. It's an intuitive process. And then if it had a smell, what would the smell be? And then what feeling is associated with it? So, you know, is it associated with feeling scared, with feeling weak, with feeling small, with feeling like someone puts you down? Um, you know, what, uh, what feeling, maybe anxiety, do you associate with it? And then you're going to address that pain as if it were, you know, uh, as if it could speak to you. And you're going to ask, how old are you? So for me, the answer to this question was, I was five, because that was when I was abused. And, you know, so much has been buried around that. Um, but then we ask ourselves, how did the tightness serve me at that point? So there, there was a purpose for me bracing then as part of my, you know, feeling of self-defense. Um, and then you ask yourself, how is now different? So that question is the important one. Like, what is different now? Why is it safe now to let this go? So I understand that this process might seem a little out there to people. Um, you know, if you're feeling some sort of block or tension, because this is really good if you're feeling resistance to getting things done too, to mm. go through this process. Um, and just be really compassionate and open to whatever comes up. You know, sometimes it's something really extreme, like in my case, and other times it's something that would seem seemingly insignificant. Like when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13, I was hanging out with my friends and we, um, we were trying to climb a chain leak fence. Well, everybody climbed over it. I could not get over it. I had these big platform tennis shoes because it was 90s <laughs> and um, I just couldn't get over that chain leak fence. And my friends made fun of me. They said, you're so weak. You can't even climb a fence. And then, you know, it was over. And it seems like, oh, it's an insignificant thing. But when I look back, I realize like that concept of I'm weak, mm -hmm. like has really become ingrained. And now how can I work through that and to understand on, help my body understand that I'm strong? Mm, I love all that. Um... Those are some really powerful exercises that you mentioned. And as you said, like it doesn't have to be something as big as the trauma that you mentioned. I mean, it mm -hmm. could be just, you know, someone said you looked weird on stage or something. And then yes. that will like make you stand strange because you're afraid of looking weird yes. or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, so when we, when we figure that we figure out that we've got this issue and we're trying, you're starting to get to the source of the problem, what can we do to get treatment? Like, mm -hmm. is there, you know, somewhere we should reach out to? Should we be reading certain books? What's the best way to start getting some relief? 
Yes. So if you feel like you might have some sort of injury, if you're having some chronic pain, even if it's mild related to playing your instrument or singing, and singing is not just pain, it's also hoarseness. Mm -hmm. So not just hoarseness related to, um, you know, like a cold or something, but just like hoarseness after singing and being so hoarse that you are even hoarse in your singing in your speaking voice. Sorry. That's a big sign. Um, so I think short term medical treatment can be helpful. And if you can find someone in your area who specializes in performing arts medicine, this is a field that's emerged in the past 25 years of um, physicians and physical therapists who are really attuned to the needs of performing artists. You know, I had doctors tell me like, oh, just wear a brace while you play piano. You, you can't play a brace and play piano very well. You can't no. wear a brace very well. Um, but they just didn't understand the, the, um, the needs of a pianist. But the performing arts medicine doctors, if you're going to go the kind of um, allopathic route, is, it, is like the perfect fit if you can find someone. Um, there's also lots of people find relief from massage and acupuncture. I mean, I tried all sorts of um, natural things. Um, physical therapy is really big and important also because so often we'll have, um, the physical therapy can help us with our alignment things um, in terms of having our, our neck and shoulders really aligned so that they're supporting instead of impeding the blood flow. Like if we're hunched, then we're impeding blood flow to our extremities. Mm. Um, and then, so the short term is kind of medical treatment, but for long term to eliminate the problem, the best option is movement retraining. So I mentioned Alexander Technique earlier, and that is all about retraining, um, retraining how to move. And I did two years of private lessons with an Alexander Technique teacher, and um, I'm not a certified Alexander Technique teacher. That's a three-year full-time um, wow. uh, course to do. So you want to look for somebody who has a certification. Um, and the Alexander Technique, I think it's alexandertechnique.com, has um, ways to find teachers and links to professional resources, um, professional organizations, and their teachers worldwide for the Alexander Technique. And then you can also find um, more specific to your instrument people who can work with you on um, retraining how you move at your instrument. So I underwent this on the piano, and um, I did. First, body mapping, and then the Lister Sync method. There was a, a concert tour and um, a move in between there, so I kind of switched. Um, but it's really getting into the mechanics of um, how to use gravity, how to keep our hands in the most natural position. So, like if you shake out right now your hands, not if you're driving, obviously, but just let them hang by your sides and then look at them, you'll notice that the fingers are not straight. They're, they right. naturally fall in kind of a curved position. And then if you also notice your wrist, it's pretty much so that you have a straight line from your pinky to your elbow. So that's the most natural alignment of our bones. Now, sometimes when we're playing our instruments, we may need to twist our wrist so that it's more like a straight line from your thumb to your arm, but you absolutely do not want that to be your default where you stay. 
you may need to go there sometimes, like when you're playing piano, you cross in front of your body. But for the most part, you want that pinky alignment so that you're not pinching all of those nerves and tendons. So that this is just a little taste of how many things go into the retraining, which, you know, I, I think that for all musicians, we want to incorporate stretching breaks, best practices, because those are so easy to learn. And I want them to become more normal. I was really excited that I, um, I went to see Eddie Palmieri, who's a fantastic Latin jazz pianist, and he's 80 years old, still performing amazing repertoire. And I saw him stretching on stage and that made me so happy mm. because I was like, yes. That I'm is sure that's how you can still do it at 80, yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> so I want these things to become more normal. And movement retraining, I highly recommend if you're having problems. You know, it might be beyond the scope of what every musician wants to go into if you're not having problems. Um, but it's so worthwhile. It's really freeing in terms of how you play and what you can play and, uh, you know, getting more speed and agility as well. Yeah, for sure. And especially for musicians that haven't had formal lessons. I mean, I know that my piano teacher was very big on don't, you know, keep your wrists flat, don't make them, you know, and don't yeah. put your fingers straight out. And, you know, yeah. and my, my kids, yeah. you know, when they have their lessons, but you've never had that, that kind of training from the mm -hmm. beginning and you just taught yourself how to play. Yeah. Then yeah. you definitely could benefit from, from this. Yes. I've seen some self-taught people whose wrists, for example, are way down below the piano. I mean, that's like a really easy fix, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that you can, well, I shouldn't say easy. You have to retrain yourself to do it, but it's a really obvious. Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, you mentioned books also. So um, one of my favorite books that has images that I use in all my teaching is called What Every Pianist Needs to Know About the Body. That's by Thomas Mark. And um, so it has pictures of our anatomy and alignment as well as so much in-depth information. If you um, play another instrument, there's a shorter um, but similar book called What Every Musician Needs to Know About the Body by Barbara Conable. Those two people are, um, they're connected through the Andover educators. So I'm sure they, they collaborated in making their books <laughs> with mm. such similar titles. Right. And are, is there a book on the Alexander Technique if you just want an introduction? Because I think I remembered seeing a book when I was in college. There are so many books out there. And, you know, I think that certainly reading a book wouldn't hurt. But the Alexander Technique that I went through is really body work. It's hands-on. Mm. And, you know, on, during my first lesson, my first lessons, you know, those weeks, I would come out of that lesson and I would go on a walk and I'd be like, oh my gosh, my body has never felt this way. I feel so free and I'm so aligned. And then, you know, a day later I'd be back in my old habits. And my teacher said, you know, there's really not, I said, should I be practicing something at home? She said, no, not at that, this point. You've just practiced it in the wrong way, you know? Mm -hmm. So why don't you wait until we're six months in and then you can feel how to do it the right way so that it will be helpful to do the exercises. So, you know, it's really a hands-on experience and there are, you know, there's teachers worldwide. There's also, um, you know, like training retreats, you know, a week or three weeks or something where you get a lot of hands-on introduction. And some people think that's the best way to learn, to learn it. Um, so I, I mean, there's a book that I have called the Alexander Technique Workbook. I don't know if I found it that helpful. It's really mm. been hands-on training that helped me become pain-free. 
So I'm assuming you would recommend this even if people aren't experiencing pain for like a, you know, prevention kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. You know, maybe not everyone is in the place in their life where they want to do it, but yes, I do recommend it as a prevention thing. You know, if you're concerned, you feel like I want to be playing or singing my whole life, I think Alexander's technique with, you know, make sure you get a good teacher who's certified. Um, there's some, uh, if you go to the alexandertechnique.com and look on the teacher page, they get some good guidelines for how to find people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been super informative. It's definitely something that I'm not that familiar with um, because I've never had a repetitive injury or nodes mm-hmm. or anything like that. Thank goodness. Yeah. But I yes. definitely know <laughs> that when, when I'm not uh, present with the way that I'm producing my voice, like for example, mm-hmm. if I'm sight reading, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that is when I kill my voice the most because yes. I'm not thinking about the way I'm producing my voice. I'm concentrating yeah. on how to get the notes correct. If it's, yeah. it's like a totally new piece and then I'll be completely trashed afterwards. So it just goes to show yeah. how present we need to be with our voice or our instrument as mm-hmm. we're playing. Yes, exactly. And I am with you with the sight reading. That's my problem, sight reading on the piano. And when I'm on the computers for too long, I still get flare-ups because I'm so absorbed in the content that I forget about my body and then Mm. I end up punching forward. Um, But on that note about the sight reading, another thing that's really great to do, I know we have a lot of singer-songwriters, it's tempting to just sit down and play and sing at the same time when you're working on a new song, but it can be really helpful to isolate those elements. So if you play guitar, just play and practice the guitar so that you have some mental space to think about your body and how you're aligned and get really good at that. And then just practice the singing so you can think about using even breath pressure from your diaphragm and singing in a way that's free and not pushed and then put them together. And that's going to allow you to focus more on your body. Mm, That's a really, really good point and a really good tip. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay, so we covered pretty much everything. Is there anything else you want to say about, um, you know, prevention and um, dealing with the pain if you are experiencing that? Yeah, to be really compassionate with yourself and understand that you're on a journey and that you're going to learn so much from this. And um, yeah, as I said, there's the stretches um, available at my website and the videos and such. So. Yeah, definitely tell them um, where, you know, where to find your website and how to, how to keep in touch with you. Yeah, so my website is saragita.com. It's S-A-R-A, no H, and Gita is G-I-I-T-A.com. And tell and them what Gita look- means because I love that. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, when I was a baby, I was given this name in Sanskrit and it means song. And so mm. I use that as my stage name because I just, I just love it. So. It, it feels like I've come full circle, like fulfilling some sort of destiny to, you know, be pursuing music and sharing music. Plus, it sounds really cool and exotic. Oh, <laughs> And then okay. when you find out what it means, you know, it's like, oh, that's okay. awesome. I get people like, Gaita? Gaita. Right. You know, they don't know how to say it. So sometimes I feel like I should just, but, you know, my, I'm Sarah Gita Flores. My last name is Flores. And there are just, you know, hundreds of Sarah Flores out there. So I'm more unique this way. Yes. No, that's perfect. And how can they be in touch with you on, where's the best way to get in touch with you on social? So, um, my, I'm on Facebook, Sarah Gita singer songwriter is my page. And on YouTube, my YouTube channel is called inspiring songwriting. And if you just search for Sarah Gita, 
I will come up with the two eyes in mm. detail. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. And I'm so glad you brought this subject to my attention because I probably wouldn't have thought about focusing on this for an episode. So yeah. that's why I love, and, and you are a longtime listener too. In fact, I think you have a, a testimonial on our front page. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just really appreciate from you, someone that listens to this show and says, oh, here's, you know, a niche that I can fill to help other artists. And I really think that this will. I hope so. Thank you so much, Bree. You are welcome. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.